You can miss me with Michael Jordan buzzer beaters, LeBron James comebacks, Kobe Bryant 82, but stop, stop, stop. Messi did nothing tonight except two of the most ridiculous sublime balls I've ever seen. Hello again. Welcome back to Offside with me, Taylor Twalman. Wednesday night, August 23rd. I am exhausted. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the quick episode that we did this week after the League's Cup special where I went on the field, talked with Drake Callender, Kamal Miller, Robert Taylor, Robert Taylor's dad, who was awesome, by the way, who told me to stop mentioning his name and stop talking about his son being Dean Maria. If you didn't hear it, please go back. It's a previous episode. It's great. Listen. But I am exhausted because this messy thing is driving me crazy. Now, it's a good crazy. Don't get me wrong. It's a good crazy. But I just watched the Open Cup semifinal. They were down 2-0. Inter-Miami was down 2-0 with 19 minutes and 47 seconds left on the clock. FC Cincinnati completely outplayed them. Busquets looked 85 years old. Messi barely moved, barely touched the ball. And yet he had two of the best assists I've ever seen. Because listen, I love talking about Messi in Inter-Miami, in Leagues Cup, in lighting this world of Major League Soccer and soccer in North America on fire. It's great. It's awesome. But at some point, can we talk about the other 28 teams? Can we at some point talk about the other parts of the league? And yet I'm staring at myself, talking to myself, answering my own question. You can't. You can't not, not, not do that. And that's a triple negative. And I don't even know what that means. All I know is what the fuck just happened. Pat Noonan and FC Cincinnati set it up perfectly. And then Messi and Campana happens once. Then Lucha Costa's got a calf strain. Then Brandon Vasquez comes off the field. Sergio Santos and Kubo should have scored the third and arguably the fourth goal for FC Cincinnati. But instead, those guys decide to lose the ball in the middle of the field. And in the 97th minute, Messi, who, by the way, got away with a foul previously, but no one wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it, but I am going to mention it. He got away with a foul 15 seconds before the goal happens. But then that left foot, it's a wand of a left foot, delivers a ball, pinpoint accuracy for Campana to head it back across the goal. Boom, 2-2. And then an extra time, because unlike League's Cup, you go to 30 minutes extra time, rightfully so. U.S. Open Cup's the best tournament in U.S. soccer history. I, I will die on that hill. Because it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's an open tournament for all of our country. I still love it. And then Matt Miazga gives a ball away on a goal kick that you don't rarely see at this level, yet you did. And the 18-year-old Kermaski plays an unbelievable ball to Joseph Martinez, the second half sub, and boom, you score. It's 3-2. Now Kubo has a fantastic goal. It goes 3-3, and Cincinnati loses on penalties. And Miami, <laughs> in the blink of an eye, is going to be playing for their second trophy. Now, I am on my way to New York City for this weekend. They're going to be playing the Red Bulls. That will be their first game in the MLS regular season where they are currently the worst 
team in Major League Soccer. Now, they've got 12 games left. I think they've got to get 27 points. But after watching what everyone else does when Messi and Tato Martino and Busquets and Jordi Alba, I mean, honestly, with all due respect to Busquets, he looked it tonight. He looked it. Exhausted. And I, I think he has every right to look it. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm just saying he did. He barely moved from center of the park. Now they bring on Farias. Looks the real deal. Avilas needs to grow into it as a center back. And Gomez is going to be hot and cold. They're all under 22 years old. They're all going to be real good players when they're older. But Busquets looked it. Cincinnati played him off the park. And yet here I am. I got to talk about an open cup final where Miami's going to play Houston. And they're going to win their second trophy? Jesus, guys, what do you want me to talk about? Honestly, I don't, I, what the hell does this mean? I have no idea. I agreed to launch this podcast when Messi made his debut because I'm thinking, great, we're going to have all this attention, great noise, great expectation. League Cup for the first time ever is going to be this knockout-style tournament. We've got Liga MX, Major League Soccer, all this stuff. But I'm going to talk about so many things. I have literally done six episodes in the first 35 minutes. I'm literally sitting in Messi's backseat of his car. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. For all of you listening, I know we are ignoring a lot of amazing stuff that's going on in this league and in this country. Christian Pulisic, how about that start for AC Milan? Matt Turner, man of the match in his second game for Nottingham Forest. I'm going to get there. But the only thing that my phone tells me when a text message comes from some knucklehead in my contacts that I haven't heard from for the last 30 some odd days about Messi. Or how about the text I got tonight about someone I haven't heard from for the last four years. And all he wants to talk about is watching Messi in the U.S. Open Cup semifinal. Now, for those of you that are just joining the program, the reason why the U.S. Open Cup is dear to my heart, it's the only tournament I won. The New England Revolution, champions of the 2007 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. They had to hold on till the death. The final score, 3-2 at Pizza Hut Park. It's the only tournament I won. I lost four MLS Cups. I did. And I won a Gold Cup, sure. But for the New England Revolution... The Open Cup's the only thing I won, so naturally, the Open Cup's special to me. Now, when MLS comes around in December, all of you are going to hear the real struggle and anxiety and bad flashbacks that I have, but I I digress. I'm apologizing to you now, but I have to talk about Messi. What is going on is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because it's not as if they're just winning games. They are in a manner that I've never seen anything like it in my life in any sport. You can miss me with Michael Jordan buzzer beaters, LeBron James comebacks, Kobe Bryant 82, but stop, stop, stop. Messi did nothing tonight except two of the most ridiculous, sublime balls I've ever seen. And so yours truly is commentating games on Inter-Miami and Messi, and you've probably heard this if you're listening to games. If you haven't, during the 2022 World Cup, Lionel Messi walked 5,300 meters, Per 90 minutes. That's more than anyone else in the world. Does it matter? He's constantly moving. 
His central nervous system is always aware. Why do I bring this up? Tonight, there was an 18-year-old homegrown, David Ruiz. He came into the game. He looked ridiculous. And yesterday in the press conference, David, please tell us what's the one bit of advice that Lionel Messi gave you after training and playing with you for three weeks. He said, you need to walk more. You need to see the game. You need to experience the game. Lionel Messi walked for 87 minutes tonight. And yet when you go on your phone, social media, the only thing you're going to see is a left foot, ridiculous set piece ball, Campana, header, goal, 2-1. 97th minute, left footed ball, on a dime, Campana, header, goal, 2-2. Let's go to extra time. And he played 120 minutes. And he made his penalty. And so did the 18-year-old Kermaski. And yet I'm sitting here trying to launch this podcast and try to enjoy my life of celebrating what is going on in American soccer. And the only thing I can talk about, because it's the only thing that is encapsulating everybody. And I'm telling you, Major League Baseball players, NBA players, NFL players, Current or old, those are the only people I'm hearing from. I don't think you guys understand, and I'm going to say this again. He's got every single sports person in this country watching Major League Soccer games. And they still are the worst team in the league. Yet tonight, Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami defeated FC Cincinnati in Cincinnati in penalty kicks to now play in the Open Cup Final. I don't know what else to talk about. But there is one other thing I do know I want to talk about. And I know a lot of people are talking about this. The New England Revolution, my former club. Etienne Jr. Ball to the back post. Oh, what a save! George Petrovic looked like it was a sure goal for Barata. Now, in the last couple of days, they have flipped Major League Soccer in that world upside down. The best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer, and you all know... I have a man crush for Roman Berkey. But the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer right now is Jordi Petrovic. Jordi Petrovic for the New England Revolution, who followed Matt Turner, who was sold to Arsenal, was just sold to Chelsea for an MLS transfer record of $17.5 million plus a $2 million add-ons for the 23-year-old Serbian. Now, that is a transfer record for goalkeepers. The Revolution paid seven hundred grand for him. Now, I'm not great at math. That's good numbers. That's good business. Now, a couple years ago, Don Garber made it a real point to say that we need to be a player as a league on the world market. Do you know how you do that? You buy players, but you sell players. And when your league becomes a place where you buy a player for 700 grand and sell said player for roughly 20 million. Now you got all the eyeballs in the world watching your league. So anyone criticizing the New England Revolution, you're not paying attention. Now listen, I get it as a fan. It's the end of August and you're losing the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. You're most likely the front runner to chase FC Cincinnati for the Supporter Shield. I get all of that. But what you don't understand is that Major League Soccer has a different schedule than the top five leagues in the world. And those top five leagues have more money than you. So what does that mean? When Chelsea makes a phone call 
and says, we're interested in your goalkeeper and we're going to give you $17.5 million with an add-on that's going to take it to $20 million, you pack Jordi Petrovic's bags. You wish him luck. Now, every single time he plays for Chelsea or wherever else he is, they have to mention the revolution. Just like Matt Turner, just like Adam Buxa, just like Tejan Buchanan. Now, why do I bring up those four? Because in the last two and a half years, the revolution have done over $40 million in transfers. I'm going to repeat that so you guys are listening to me. Four players, $40 million dollars roughly in transfer fees. If you look around the world in the same time period, that's in the top 10 clubs of the world. So I tip my cap to my former club, New England Revolution, because it is a risk. And I know Robert and Jonathan better than anyone that's listening to this podcast. And they're pissed. They're pissed that they actually have the best goalkeeper in MLS that in the world is valued at $20 million. But anyone saying you don't sell him Miss me with this. Because you know what the other part of the equation is? And I'm going to end it with this. His salary was just times 10 over seven years. Would you say, no, hold on. I owe it to my fans and I owe it to the club to wait six months, even though you're offering me a seven-year deal that's going to basically quadruple my salary right now? Come on. So I wish the revolution the best. I think they're going to find a replacement. I think their bigger concern is whether or not Bruce Arena comes back, whether or not he's got his finger on the pulse within the entire locker room, the entire coaching staff, because that is a zoo over there because nobody knows what's going on. And to get that locker room settled will have nothing to do with Petrovic being sold for $20 million. And the revolution are going to have to find a way to replace him. Just like all of you told me, how are we going to replace Matt Turner? Well, how about $700,000 for Jordi Petrovic? Remember last week, I introduced my favorite part of this project, which is you calling us, texting us, 646-571-8496. That is 646-571-8496. Or you can email us at offsidepodwithtaylor at gmail.com. Now, producer Peter, who's got a Cleveland Guardians hat on that looks like it's from 1904. Peter, welcome back to the show. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Happy to be back. The people demanded no, it, so here I it's am. It's a liar. No, it's that. No one demanded it. You know, no one Taylor, other than your... No. <laughs> you uh, really asked people to roast you or <laughs> tell you things they didn't like, and Unfortunately, every email and voicemail we've gotten so far has been someone who genuinely likes you. The only yeah, people so who have said anything bad are the people who work with you on this podcast. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is so that means the podcast isn't good yet. I got to get going then. I got to we need people roasting us or should I say me? We need we need more roasting. So what do you got for me by the way? Got a couple emails okay. that we're excited about and a voicemail. Ooh, um so let's I just jump it. into it. Talking messy. Um, this one's from Mikey, wondering if you think Messi will play every game he's available for in the MLS or if Miami will avoid dressing him for some games due to their condensed schedule. That's an unbelievably perfect timed question because here we are on August 23rd, Wednesday night, after he just played 120 minutes in the Open Cup semifinal against FC Cincinnati. And I'm going to New York where he's going to play the New York Rebels in his first MLS regular season game Saturday night on Apple TV. And if I'm Tata Martino, I'm not playing him. I'm not. 
I don't care what Messi says, but the Messi I saw the night, yes, I get it. Two unbelievable assists. The Busquets I saw, the Albas I saw. Listen, you've got to find a way to win at least eight of your final 12 games in the regular season to get into the playoffs. Next week, they've got Wednesday night, Nashville on Apple TV. Sunday night, the third against LAFC, then an international break. So, Peter, to answer your question, do I think he plays every game? Yes. To what level and how much? I don't know. But if I'm Tato Martino, I'm telling the GOAT, you're not playing this weekend at Red Bull Arena. Next three games, Red Bulls, Nashville, LAFC, is the Red Bulls game the most gettable game of the three anyway? So you play them? Or does it matter? Yes, it is. But I just played 120 minutes in an Open Cup semifinal. And if you sit them in the Red Bulls game, you get a week off to rest, re-energize, and play Nashville at home. You would have to think Jorge Mas, Jose Mas, David Beckham, they want them to play every home game. That would be my thought. But to answer your question, the answer is most likely yes. But now I got some young players. Mota returned against Cincinnati in the Open Cup. We got a little depth there. I don't know. Save them for the final 10 minutes. See how the game goes. But the Red Bull way, Peter, is 90 minutes of car crashes. It's 1,000 miles an hour. I don't know if I want Messi in that environment and in that game. Now, everyone listening to this is going to say, wait a minute, I just bought a ticket to Red Bull Arena. I'll tell you right now, if I bought a ticket to Red Bull Arena, I'm still going because Messi's proven everybody, like myself, in these moments wrong. He loves to play games. He doesn't train. So I'll be shocked if he doesn't play Saturday. I'm just telling you what I would do. I'd sit him. Uh, One more question, then we'll go to a voicemail. Uh, This next email is from Mike. Do we go with a newbie or prior Federation experience in our next U.S. women's national team coaching hire? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a real good one. I would do someone outside the uh, circle of trust. I would do someone from the outside. And I think that's what Mike's getting at this. I'm not rehiring anyone that's been a coach of the women or men's national team for the women's national team head job. I wouldn't have done that with Burholter. I'm on the record of that. I've been on the record for that every cycle. I think every coach for the national team gets four years and then move on. I think the change is healthy. And I know listeners are going to give me examples of those that have worked. And while I'm also going to rebuttal and give you examples that don't work. So it's a healthy conversation. My point of view is when it's back-to-back cycles, it becomes stale, stagnant, And so that's the one that's going to be very interesting. If I am the U.S. Soccer Federation looking at the women's head job, I'm 100% looking at someone outside. I think it's healthy and I think it's needed. You just came off the worst World Cup in the history of the women's program. You've got to ruffle the feathers. You've got to change the guard. You can't rest on your laurels. And the Olympics are next summer. I get it. But you just had the worst World Cup ever. You got to start over. Now, in saying that, I kind of said the same thing about the men. And they rehired Greg Berhalter. And we hope to have Greg Berhalter on in the future where we're going to talk about that process and how he feels going into his second cycle. But the point I have is that the way this women was, the conversation Lindsey ran basically over the last 24 hours as we're taping this podcast, talking about how tactics were not there. They basically did their own thing against Sweden more than what the coaching staff was telling them to do, Peter, that's as toxic as anything. 
I would sounded do someone very, on the outside. That sounded very varsity blues of her, can I say? Very varsity blues. I could see her as a great James Vanderbeek. She has the, the Don't the you feel like Inter Miami was kind of like I, I feel like Lionel Messi was James Vanderbeek. Campana was Tweeter. You know what I mean? Yeah. They come walking out, out of 7 the walking out of the club. Yeah, yeah. It's uh whew, it was yeah. um Mm-hmm. They're tired. I get it. They're tired. And they keep Walking winning. out of the club that was Nashville League's Cup final. And then you show up at Cincy at 7 a.m. and just somehow find a way. Uh-huh. All right. Let's listen to a voicemail. Let's give it a listen. Hello, Taylor. This is Dustin calling from Tokyo, Japan. Uh, I have a question for you. You always talk about how the U.S. League has improved over the time and comparing with the World Cup in 1994 in the U.S. and with the upcoming World Cup in the U.S. here. Uh, if you recall, back in 1994, the U.S. showed all the games on TV, but with commercial breaks in between. And when you came back from a commercial break, you might have missed a goal. But I'm curious to see how the U.S. convinced soccer or others to advertise or show on TV a sport for 45 minutes without breaks. Okay, kids are waking up here now, but hopefully that's a question you can answer about. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Thank you, Dustin. Shout out for you sneaking in a voicemail before your kids wake up. Um, okay. I want to contextualize this a little more. What is something that you've seen as a player and now in the media over the last 20 some years in the coverage of the game in the United States that you never thought you would have seen? Because yes, commercials, sure. But I think what is something that you see that maybe the regular fan hasn't seen that's really shown how this game has changed in 30 years? One, I appreciate the question. Two, 30 years ago? Holy cow. Right? 1994 yeah. World Cup? Oh, my God. <laughs> We're old, Peter. Um, first and foremost, we can watch any game in the world right now. We can watch any game in the world. There's no blackouts. Think about that. Now, Apple TV's in 107 countries. Why do I mention that? Because if you live in England, you can't watch every game. Just think of that. So first and foremost, we are very spoiled in this country with the sport where 30 years ago, while watching those live commercials in the middle of the game, Peter, I would have been like, there is no chance we get out of our own way. So I think it's refreshing to hear that question because it reminds me, while we still have a long way to go, we've come a long way as a society and as a country appreciating the sport of soccer, where now we're going to be hosting that World Cup 34 years later, which is remarkable in and of itself. And how different that league, this country and the national team is from 1994. Um, we had the penalty kick shootout. <laughs> that was five seconds, and you have a breakaway. So we got rid of that. That was growth. But I would, I'm going to go back to tonight because the last four weeks I watched League's Cup go straight to penalties. And I've had more questions about that from people in Europe that liked it. Now, I know people on Twitter are going to say it's an American thing. It's not. I'm telling you people in FIFA, UEFA, that have reached out and said, just tell what what was the energy like? And I think the energy is good. But I also appreciate America understanding that we don't need to change everything. We don't need to reinvent the wheel with everything. This is the world game. This is the beautiful game that everybody loves in the world. We maybe can do our best work when we don't get in the way and we just let it be. But it's amazing thing. 94 World Cup, we were watching live commercials in the middle of the game. Imagine if you missed Messi to Campana to start that comeback off. 
Peter, because I of would a be Nextel commercial. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, it's yeah. I'm trying to do the math. 1994 is Was it a Nextel walkie-talkie? I feel unit? like it's the. Uh, I think it's uh, still the was NYPD. A it's the NYPD blue guy on the radio. Yes. Nextel, you know, getting fruit for his. It would have been. Commercial. It would have been the second season of like ER. <laughs> right. That's what it been. Yeah. It would have been a live, like you know, twenty second spot on coming up next on ER, and you're like, what, what? And you come back, and it's two one. <laughs> it's two one. Could you guys imagine taping this podcast if that happened tonight? I would be losing my shit. <laughs> Good question, though. It was wild, man. Yep, um, it that's was. it. Uh, people, hit us up. I'll say whatever you want to Taylor. Right to his face. Yeah, I mean, right to it. Like, just roast me, do anything you want. But Dustin in Tokyo with the first voicemail, congratulations. You didn't win anything, but congrats. It's awesome. Mind you, 646-571-8496. 646-571-8496. Come at me. Bring it. Peter, thank you. John, good luck trying to edit this podcast. And once again, thank all of you for listening. Remember, rate and review the show. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. And next week, we don't have any idea what we're going to do. You know why? Messi's going to play two games. And I have this really good show planned. And guess what? He's going to blow the entire thing up just like he's done my entire life. See you next week. Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janot was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan and Iggy Monda were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker, and I'm your host, Taylor Twelman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. John's going to have a fun time cutting that out because I said Cleveland Indians. <laughs> uh, let's do that one more time. We can't, I can't, we have to do it.